Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Philip Eidson. Phil is the founder and managing director at Art of Procurement, a procurement consulting, membership community, and content company that provides CPOs and their teams the resources they need to enable company growth. He has also worked at both Procurian and Accenture and has experience across the entire indirect and direct procurement value chain. Hi, Phil. Thanks so much for being back here on the Sourcing Hero podcast. I know. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Kelly, and uh, looking forward to our conversation today. Absolutely. So you've been, if people have been following you on LinkedIn, they may have seen some pictures. You've been sort of back out mixing it up as procurement conferences, events, and and things start coming back in person. So I'm going to pick your brain about a little bit, about that a little bit today. Um, But before I do that, we just assume everyone knows you, right? But if in the odd chance someone listening to this hasn't already met you, um, you've been in procurement for a really long time, 20 yeah. years. Yeah. What would you say is the top thing that you think has changed during that time? Yeah, and it's scary now, you know, saying over 20 years. <laughs> it used to be scary when I'd say over 15 years. And, and it know, doesn't, you don't look bigger. like it's a day over 16, so don't <laughs> well, feel bad about the 20. <laughs> Um, so what's changed? I mean, um, you know, I started in the direct procurement space within the automotive industry. And so when I think back to, you know, when I started my first buying role versus where we are here, and that was in the year 2000 versus here we are in 2022, you know, there's a couple of things that came to mind. I think that um, the rise of indirect procurement, Mm -hmm. you know, procurement, uh, certainly, you know, in Europe where I started my career, you know, I'm based in the US and have been for the last 17 years now, but I started in the UK. Um, you know, it was all about direct procurement. And then, um, you know, only after I think organizations saw the benefit of procurement and procurement kind of professional, professionalized uh, late 90s, early 2000s in the direct space, did that start to resonate with execs who saw, you know what, maybe we could apply some of these principles to indirect. So, you know, definitely the rise of indirect is one of the big things that's happened over the last 20 years. Um, and I think that um, technology, obviously, mm. um, you know, some days I think technology has changed the face of procurement over the last three or four years. And then other times I look back 20 years and think, yeah, but we're still using some of the same old systems. Yeah. Um, so it depends kind of what day it is as to how impactful I think that um, that tech has become. But over the last three or four years, I mean, there's been an explosion of technology and and the challenge now is not we don't have the tech to do the, the fancy things we want to do. It's like we don't really know how to do it and how to put it all together. Like the tools are now there, but we don't necessarily know how to use them. Um, Which sort of takes away, I'll call it an excuse, like, well, mm -hmm. we can't possibly, it's too complicated, there's too much data, and we just don't have the tech to support us. That increasingly, that explanation is going away, isn't it? It is. Um, And so it's a little hard, you know, now you've got to look more deeply in your teams and think, okay, how do I make sure that my my teams are digital literate? Um, How do I make sure that I'm, 
architecting my technology stack so it actually does the things that I need it to do rather than what I've been sold by a supplier, you know, about what they say the technology does. And those are inward uh, looking conversations versus, uh, you know, the tech's not caught up. And so it's going to be another five years and I can use that, as you say, as the excuse. Well, one of the top concerns you just mentioned, which is CPOs and heads of procurement looking at their team and really starting to think a little more critically about talent. One of the top ways to address that actually brings us to the core topic we were going to talk about today, which is the current state of the procurement community. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I mentioned at the open, you've actually been back at a couple of in-person conferences, which is great. And we're going to talk a little bit about what you've heard. But first, I'm just curious to get your impressions. It's for most parts of the country and even the world, it's been a couple of years since yeah. people have really gathered face-to-face in any kind of substantial number, what would you say is sort of your first impressions of just the dynamics of being back in person? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting because, you know, I'm personally a, a traveler. You know, I love to travel and go out and, uh, you know, I'm a little a bit of an introvert too. So it's not like I necessarily want to meet a ton of people when I do travel, <laughs> but I love to travel. Um, and so I've been definitely having kind of... Um, missing out on doing it. So when everything started to open up, I probably jumped into too many things and I feel like I've been nothing but on the road for the last uh, eight or nine weeks. But, um, you know, it's when I set out and, you know, I've probably been to four or five conferences over the last few weeks. Um, I wasn't really sure what I was going to see. Um, and it honestly depends on the conference that I've been to in terms of how folks are coming back in numbers or not, you know, um, the the provider community have a business case of why they need to be there. You know, they need to get in front of prospects. Um, they need to be sponsoring. They need to be getting their booths and you know trying to get in front of folks. But you know, I think there's a lot of lot more um, um, reticence on mm-hmm. the side of the the buyer community, the procurement professionals, you know, practitioners. Um, probably not based on desire, but based on does my company have the budget yet to put back into what may not be seen as essential travel or are the, um, um, you know, traveler safety um, concerns right now front and, and, and center versus letting people travel, you know, are the travel bans. So, um, you know, I've seen that um, probably that's loosening up. Um, most of the events I've been to, I was pleasantly surprised by how many practitioners but I'd say that aside from one or two events that I went to, they're a shadow of their former size right now. Okay. So we are either observing a shift or maybe things are just still ramping back up to where they were back in 2019. Yeah. And it's interesting when you, um, you know, some of these events are, are going hybrid and, and one of the challenges for hybrid is that um, when you have, um, you know, you have obviously very busy procurement executives who given the choice of do I need to take a week out of my schedule to go to a conference or can I just tune in to watch a session or two during my day, I'm probably going to opt for, I'm just going to sign in and watch a session or two that I think is interesting to me. And so the the, the level of folks who are at the events is probably a little bit different than it was, you know, it's probably more junior um, than it was before the pandemic, at least right now. Well, and I wonder how that has possibly changed the conversation, right? So you talk about the the mix of people, the level mm-hmm. of executive changing. How do you think that's impacting the topics that are being covered? 
Do we seem to have just picked up where we left off two years ago, or has everything that we've all lived through and worked through over the last couple of years changed procurement's focus, whether it's the expertise of speakers or whether it's questions from the audience? How do you think the topics have shifted? Yeah, I'd say from the the speakers, it's kind of the usual suspects. Um, So I don't think there's been much of a change from before the pandemic to after the pandemic of those that are actually doing some of the speaking at the events. Um, It's these conference providers have a it's a challenge, right, because you've got to lock in agendas um, sometimes months before an event. And obviously the, the pace of change in the world right now has been so fast that you can schedule, you know, all the topics six months ago, and they might not be as relevant when the the event comes around. Um, one of the things I noticed um, a, a lot was how pre uh, pre pandemic it was all about digitization. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about RPA, it's all about AI. Uh, you know, all these technologies that we're going to use, how we're going to digitally transform procurement, um, and I haven't really seen that much of that since we've been back. And yes, you know, I think that digitization is embedded in a lot of the other things that are talked about, but perhaps we've evolved from talking about these are all the this is all the wonderful technology that we have access to to and this is actually a positive, here are outcomes that procurement can drive and hey by the way, these are some of the technologies you can use to drive those outcomes. And so we're talking more about the outcomes than we are the technology itself. Which hopefully serves as evidence that procurement is in fact making progress towards better business alignment. That's something we've been talking about an awful lot. When we talk about digital procurement platforms, we're kind of talking about ourselves and our objectives and Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do. But when the conversation goes beyond that to business objectives, hopefully, I mean, do you agree? Is that evidence that we're actually working, at least from a perspective standpoint, in more lockstep with what the business needs from us. I think so. I mean, I think we're, we're seeking out to, we, we, we're doing a, a better job of trying to uh, realign our capabilities with what the needs of the business are. And that's something we've talked about, you know, at Ad Procurement for a long, long time of, of obviously needing to be the place that procurement goes. Um, when I looked at the, um, I, I did a little bit of analysis, just, uh, you know, it was my prep for the show. I thought, um, I'm going to take a look because I've just been at ISM uh, 2022 in Orlando the last few days. And so I went and looked at all the talk tracks and categorized them. I got a good old trusty uh, spreadsheet like any procurement person <laughs> would um, and categorized all the different sessions into different topics because I was really interested to see kind of how it spun out, um, you know, and basically half the sessions uh, at ISM, and this was a four-day event, I think it was, um, you know, half of them were either ESG or risk and disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, ESG being the top theme across all the different tracks, so sustainability, uh, diversity, and then what, um, and then sessions that covered specifically, you know, ESG as a, a higher-level topic, if you will, and you know, a couple of weeks before I went to SAP Sapphire and that was all about sustainability. Certainly saw a lot of sustainability at uh, ProcureCon West, uh, which was um, you know beginning of April. So that seems to be a topic that is at least on the top of the minds of the folks who are setting the agendas um, and who are, you know, building the presentations. Now, the, the ESG terminology, right, the environmental, social and, and governance, that mm-hmm. sort of label is new, but, you know, We've both been around, right? It's not terribly different from corporate social responsibility. 
Do you see any nuances in terms of how it's being discussed or if we're approaching it differently? Because I, I do think, you know, from my perspective, over the last couple of years, sustainability has really matured a lot in yeah. Europe and supplier diversity and diversity, equity and inclusion have really matured a lot in the yeah. U.S. Are you seeing any differences either in terms of the knowledge exchange or anything that truly makes ESG different from what we would have previously discussed as CSR? That's a great question. Um, and probably the answer is not really. Um, what I think I'm observing, um, you know, and folks listening may dispute this. I think that what we're seeing with everything that falls under ESG. Uh, so, you know, typically it's around supply diversity and, um, um, around sustainability is that we're kind of latching on to something where there's this, it's, it's been proven to be important to the business. It's a, a topic or topics that have board level attention that's filtering down. So it's, you know, the, the, the C-suite are looking for help within the organization to solve these challenges. And there's a bit of a greenfield because there's nobody really in the organization that has responsibility mm -hmm. for doing so. And we can interject supply chain and procurement into this because, you know, most of this occurs in our supply chains, you know, with our suppliers. So we kind of, it's all of a sudden now there's this opportunity for us to, we, we've, we've wanted for so long to, and we've talked for so long about value beyond savings. And now we're finding this opportunity of a topic which is important to the business that's not savings. Um, and I think that is probably one of the driving forces behind interest in trying to figure out where as procurement we can make a difference. Well, and it does seem, so I'm trying to think back to, you know, when we talked about corporate social responsibility, how did it truly affect procurement? And I don't, mm -hmm. at least in, in my experience, we would kind of talk about it, but it wasn't something that we were super actively involved in. And I almost wonder if maybe this is that scary G we've now tacked on the end that mm -hmm. is ESG potentially a little bit more measured? Is it more reported on? Is it more regulated even? Yeah. Whereas CSR was sort of this corporate cultural value set where we say, you know, we're going to try to be good corporate citizens and do nice yeah. things and give our employees days off to go, you know, do Habitat for Humanity or something. Um, versus now, if you're truly talking ESG, you may be talking about scope three carbon emissions, or you mm -hmm. may be talking about tier two supplier workforce diversity. Um, that actually is better for procurement. I mean, the bar is higher from an achievement standpoint, but anything that is measured gives us that opportunity to step up to the executive team and say, hey, not only do we have the skills and the technologies required to act on these plans that you've talked about externally, we have the data, we can mm -hmm. track our progress, we can benchmark, we can report. Um, it's if it heads in the direction it seems like it's going, the opportunity for procurement is huge because it is so, at least it seems at this point, metric driven. Yeah, you know, you you hit the nail on the head. Um, I think that it's because it's quantifiable. It's becoming more quantifiable, which is all the things that you just talked about, whereas before it wasn't. And so now we can go back to the, the business and say, you know, we found a metric that's not just savings that demonstrates value to the business. And that's what we've been in search of. I mean, that's been one of the challenges of, of procurement expanding our value proposition is, okay, how do you, uh, how do you measure supplier-enabled innovation? 
or how do you measure, you know, in the past sustainability initiatives or, um, you know, process improvements and uh, all these things that are, are, uh, are things that are, are value drivers, but that there's no measurement. And so in, in ESG, we're now starting to see uh, the work that we're doing being quantifiable. And I do think, like you say, that's a really big difference. Now, just want to add that what's really interesting to me as well, and this isn't from a conference, but um, I've had the opportunity to get a sneak peek into a couple of um, big industry surveys that are coming out around this time from some pretty well-respected organizations. And, you know, they say that... Um, Topics like ESG, while we're focusing on it almost as, um, you know, uh, a number one topic at the moment, that still in the business, it's, you know, maybe third or fourth importance of the things that procurement can do. And even kind of CPOs, uh, it's a third or fourth like yeah. importance when you said, what's your primary focus or what's your primary challenge? So there's a little bit of a disconnect. Um, and maybe that's because we don't know what to do with it yet. Uh, we haven't figured out quite how important it is yet, and it's going to move up that level of importance. But, you know, I just, like I say, a little bit, bit of a disconnect perhaps between we're talking about it all the time now, we see it as an opportunity, but we're still not necessarily prioritizing it. Well, or here's the other possibility, and this is something I was already thinking about. You talked about the lag, and this is just the natural, like we plan events all the time at Art of mm -hmm. Procurement. You can't pick a topic the week before you you run a session. As much as we yeah. want to be timely and of the moment, there's so much planning that goes into running a professional event that I think, what did you estimate? Something like six months? Was that yeah, I ballpark think that's fair. for agenda setting, which means maybe ESG and risk management mm -hmm. were the topics of the moment back in December. I guess yeah. it would be as we record this in late May. It makes me wonder if we attempt to look forward, what is going to be the topic of the moment six months from now? So what are we not talking about as a procurement community that if we could somehow magically time travel and come back, what would we be discussing to prepare ourselves for what the end of 2022 and the beginning mm -hmm. of 2023 are going to look like? Yeah, that's a great point. Because when I look at um, you know, the talk tracks for ISM, the second one, second most popular on there, which was like one in five sessions was around risk and disruption. So there was definitely conversations around risk and disruption, but it was more, you know, from a COVID perspective um, than, um, you know, what's happening in Ukraine, for example. Um, there, what, what there wasn't, so this is why, you know, six months down the line, would you see a difference? There wasn't really much around um, inflation. And what do we do to address the inflationary challenges that we're all in right now? So I was really surprised that there wasn't a lot. Now, that may be sprinkled into some of the conversations, but there wasn't a lot of formal, like, how are we going to address this? In really, in any of the sessions, um, um, you know, any of the conferences, I'm sorry, that I went to. So, you know, maybe we'll see ESG go, fall down the list and um, cost optimization and inflation rise back up, you know, when it comes to the fall conference season. And we certainly know, and again, this is sort of looking back, but generally speaking from a talent and skills development perspective, procurement doesn't always score super strongly around things like, you know, understanding macroeconomic forces mm -hmm. and even really having a detailed understanding of how to read a financial statement and draw relevant information from it. Yeah. Um, and so maybe, you know, if we think about what it means from a talent standpoint, 
absolutely, inflation is affecting all of our suppliers and categories and any of the contracts we negotiate. But as we move forward, it may be inflation plus recession. Mm -hmm. Um, And so bolstering our financial skills and knowing what to do in those situations, it's going to be a very different type of dynamic, whether we're looking at how do we help the company hit its objectives or how do we work with suppliers to achieve what we need to achieve in, in this kind of an environment. Any thoughts around what we can be doing now, assuming we're right and some of this stuff is on the horizon, mm-hmm. to improve our skill set and readiness for the kinds of conditions that's going to bring? Yeah, you know, I think we're probably living in a lot of those conversations. Sorry, a lot of those conditions right now. Um, um, I think when you look to recession, um, you know, who knows whether it's going to be kind of this era of stagflation where you have inflation plus recession or whether they, whether an impending recession, which I think, you know, a lot of uh, economists are kind of signaling is, is on the horizon if we're not in it already will lead to um, a lot of the, the air coming out of the prices, the price increases that we've had. Um, You know, based on my experience, I'd probably say that I would start looking out for softness in markets, Mm -hmm. you know, where, we're all talking about inflation at the moment, but you know you're seeing it in um, inventories at you know places like Target and Walmart, where they've uh, announced their results recently over the last week or so. Where you know it's like they couldn't get enough stock, so they just uh, ordered and ordered and ordered and ordered as much stock as they could possibly get their hands on to fill the shelves, and now it's actually all sitting there because um, you know the consumer is not as strong as it was as. Uh, inflation took part as, as inflation took hold and now they're having to liquidate all this inventory so that's what i'd start to be looking for is is less about um you know i think this is the opportunity where where all the the price increases that we've been hit with um you know so this i, I caveat it around some commodities still mm-hmm. and the uncertainty around commodities with the things that are going on um you know with russia and ukraine and all the impact of that uh you know all the geopolitical things but from a, on an economic like supply-demand basis, I would start looking at opportunities to start taking back some of those cost increases uh, that were forced on you over the last few months. But I also can't help but wonder if it isn't going to, I don't know if it's going to swing the pendulum all the way back to where it was, but if it isn't going to change the way we have our mindset around supplier relationships. You know, during the pandemic, you basically couldn't switch suppliers, right? Because mm-hmm. They weren't taking new people on or the risk of switching was too high or physically nobody was in the office to manage a transition. And we, although we had talked about supplier relationship management for a long time, we've really truly lived out the sort of kumbaya, hug your supplier, I love my suppliers kind of mentality. I'm wondering if we're going to start to see a shift with things things becoming a little bit more intense, a little bit more every man for himself. Yeah. You know, whether it's just continued inflation or inflation plus recession, um, can we can we guard ourselves against making that transition too fast? So procurement has to look out for the company. It's it's our job to be the ones on that wall saying, nope, you signed this contract. If we need to change it, let's do it the right way. Um, but is there a way for us to serve the middle spot where we say, mm-hmm. okay, We've done the math. We understand that the way things are, you can't abide by these rates. 
you know, but we don't want to go all the way back to adversarial supplier relationships, but maybe let's not hug for the next little bit of time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really tough balance. And what we have to try and avoid is the hamster wheel that we've talked about in the past where as business conditions change, you know, it's like when you need your suppliers the most, you suddenly um, start launching supplier relationship management programs. And it's all about being nice to them. And um, I mean, I know that they're a lot more mature than than that, uh, you know, here in 2022 than, uh, you know, the first go round when I was doing this back in the early 2000s. Um, but, you know, oftentimes these programs will be put in place when you see that, um, you know, there's no more power dynamics yeah. or leverage that you have. So we have to find other ways of working with some of the suppliers. As the cycle changes, it's really important that you don't just immediately go back to, oh, well, we, we, we left all this value on the table because in the name of relationships and collaboration, <laughs> and now we're just going to take it straight off the table when we get the first opportunity. Because yeah. at that point, you lose all trust with your suppliers. Um, and, you know, I think if we've learned anything over the past few years is we, we don't know what the next year is going to bring. Um, I would be encouraging people to take this as an opportunity to actually double down on building relationships in a way that has, you know, transparency built in as much as you can into pricing, for example, so you don't have this fear of being taken advantage of. Um, because once you're in the next crisis, whatever that is, or in the current one, as, as, as things evolve and change, it's too late to do anything about it because, you know, the, the suppliers, when there's constraint supply, are already going to go to the ones who they've got the closest relationships with anyway. And that doesn't necessarily mean the ones that spend the most money with them, which I think is a really important yes. point uh, that we sometimes think, well, we're spending, you know, we spend all these millions with a supplier. Um, you know, if they feel like they got a, a better, stronger relationship that's bringing value in other ways from a smaller provider, then they're probably going to give theirs preference over you. Um, you know, how much you spend doesn't really matter that much. Well, and here's the thing that I think will be interesting, and to borrow your words, I think we're about to find out if we've learned anything mm-hmm. over the last few years. Um, and fortunately, all of this continues to change. I think we're all doing our best to stay on top of it from a, a topical standpoint, from a talent standpoint, making the the most that we can of any digital resources. Um Phil, if people have listened in to our conversation and want to connect with you, want to learn more about Art of Procurement, where do you recommend that people go? Yeah, it's it's really easy. So for me uh, personally, just go to LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn every day. Um, and you know, feel free to just uh, uh, drop me an invite or drop me a message on there. Um, for Art of Procurement, you know, to find we're basically writing articles daily. We have the uh, we're fortunate enough to have the world's uh, leading pod in the procurement space. Um, you know, you can find the pod, and we do a lot of things with Sourcing Hero as well there. Everything's at artofprocurement.com. You'll find out everything, the things that we've got going on and the events and webinars. So uh, I encourage folks to go there. Absolutely. Great resources, all of those. Phil, thank you so much for being back with me on The Sourcing Hero. My pleasure, Kelly. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.